your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Culture Matters Podcast number 74. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening. Welcome to the 74th episode of the Culture Matters Podcast. We have Dr. Alan Rose as a guest today. He's Professor Emeritus, University of Idaho. Born within the sound of bow bells and he lived in London, England until the age of 24 when he emigrated to the United States. He has lived in France for three years and spent three months every year in Paris. He's also married to a Parisian. The start of the story is absolutely very interesting um, because he uses some really interesting uh, typical British understatements and they're worth listening to and worth if you're possibly able to pick them up as well. And it's also an interesting start because actually Alan Rose is somebody who moved to the United States to pursue the American dream. Let's go to the interview right now. Good morning, Alan. How are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Good. Now, I know from these couple of words that you just said, like, good morning, very well, how are you, is I can see, no, I can hear that you're not American, but you are in the United States, right? So if, if I can ask you my first question, which is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, where do you come from? Uh, where are you now? And what would you consider being your cultural frame of reference, if that makes any sense? Well, I'm from London. I grew up in London. Uh-huh. I was born just months before the Second World War. Okay. I grew up in a district called Walthamstow, which is northeast London. Uh, and I was born, I like to say, within the sound of Bow Bells, which <laughs> makes me a bona fide Cockney. Uh, although my accent is rather messed up because my travels took me to various places. Uh-huh. I left England when I was 24. Yes. I'd left school very early. I left school at 16. Mm-hmm. I was encouraged to leave. I was not a brilliant student. Uh-huh. And uh, worked in factories, in garment factories in England for about eight years, and then decided to emigrate to America, where I was told the streets were paved with gold. Right. When I arrived, I found that wasn't exactly true, but I spent some time in New York, and then I went to Tennessee. Uh-huh. I did a couple of interviews for jobs. Mm-hmm. I really knew no one. I had vague connections and uh interviewed in new york and one i had five dollars left i think wait, wait, wait sorry to, because this this is very interesting and because it one thing leads to the other did you arrive like with one suitcase and were you put through ellis island or at that time it i passed? did no this this was post ellis island this was <laughs> 1963 all right and so i did arrive with one big suitcase mm-hmm. and i did have a contact with a family who sponsored me okay and i stayed there for about three months in new york mm-hmm. And then I was running out of money and um, did some interviewing to get a job Mm -hmm. and walked into an office where they said they would take me in a week's time. Mm -hmm. And I said, I have $5 left. I need to work now. So they gave me an airline ticket and sent me to Tennessee. Okay. And I knew knew nothing about the company. For that same company? You went to Tennessee for that company from New York? For that company. Uh Uh, I knew nothing about the company. It turned out to be the largest manufacturer of men's shirts in the world, I think. (laughs) And I arrived at this little town in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. 
and I asked the people, do you know where this factory is? And everybody laughed because it was a company town. Yes. And the whole town was the factory. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so uh, I walked in and the boss interviewed me and said, well, I actually remember what he said. He said something like, you take a look at us and we'll take a look at you and we'll see. Hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, that's not very reassuring. Yes. I'm in the middle of America. I yep. don't know anyone here. Uh -huh. And I have $5 in my pocket. Yes. But it turned out very well. It was a big factory, and they took me on as I looked around the factory, huge factory. There were thousands of people, mm -hmm. but there were about five guys walking around in suits. Okay. So I put on a suit, uh -huh. insisted everybody call me Mr. Rose. It was pretty obnoxious of me. And, and I you're 24 years student. old then? Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, and um, I sort of became a junior sort of trainee executive, I guess. Mm. But that was I lasted there about a year. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that everyone, it seemed to me everyone in this country was going to college. Now, I know that wasn't true, but that was the impression I had. And I started dating a young woman who was a teacher at a local university. Uh -huh. And one day she showed me her freshman. She was an English teacher. Uh -huh. She showed me the freshman English papers. Okay. And I said to myself, I can do that stuff. Uh -huh. uh, and then I went and enrolled in college. Uh -huh. uh, and that was one of the amazing things I felt about this country. With all my criticisms of this country, yeah. that openness in education yeah. sort of allowed me to, to begin a new life yeah. uh, from the factories in England to, to a university student. And then I started studying and um, found it very rewarding. Would you, would you call uh, that then like um, you pursued? I, I, that's what I got at least. With one suitcase, you, you crossed the Atlantic by boat or plane already? By boat. By boat, still by, by boat. boat. And to mm. um, so one suitcase, you came into the U.S., And um, because the initial thought, maybe I'm going to the land of opportunity. Yes. And that turned out to be a land of opportunity, but, but a different opportunity, maybe. Exactly. No, it very much turned out to be a land of opportunity. It was, a, it was an opportunity, you know, at the age of 24 to sort of mm -hmm. change your life, to assume a new personality. Yeah. You no longer carry the baggage of people who knew you in England. Uh, and you, you, you can be what you want to be. Yeah, that's at what they've always own. done in that country, haven't they? Pardon? That is always something that people have done coming to the United States. Leave the stuff behind and start anew. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's absolutely the way to describe it. And that was very refreshing, of course, because you could be what you wanted to be, at least in terms of your yes. personality. Yeah. And it turned out to be very fruitful. I became, uh, I was a good student because I was absolutely thirsty for knowledge. Uh -huh. I'd be working, at, working in factories where you had to look over someone's shoulder. Yeah. And they didn't particularly want you to learn, to take their job. Right. No, of course. So yeah. it, was a, it was a new environment where teachers wanted me to learn. I did very well. Mm -hmm. I ended up uh, magna cum laude uh -huh. uh, and uh, was offered a fellowship. I needed to go back to England to get a graduate degree because I felt I needed to prove myself academically in England. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, so then I did um, graduate study at the University of Lancaster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a couple of years working on a PhD, I hadn't finished my PhD when I started applying for jobs. Mm -hmm. And I got a job at the uh, University of Idaho, mm -hmm. where I am now in Moscow, Idaho. So would you, would you call yourself an academic um, or do you, do you have your feet in the real world as well, as they say? I don't know exactly if that's what they say, but you know what I'm saying. I, I like to think that I'm an academic with his feet in the real world. <laughs> uh, and, real academic. Uh, I, I think that my background sort of speaks to that. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've known what it's like to, to work in factories and mm-hmm. um, yes, exactly. You're be at the bottom of the social rank, you know. Yeah. The class system, of course, in England emphasizes that. Yeah, true. Uh, you know when you're on the on which level you're at in yeah. in British culture. Yeah, yeah. More so, more so at that, that time, was, I guess. That was one of the very freeing things about America. One little story yeah. that summed up my reactions to America early on. I had gone into a gas station mm-hmm. to fill up. This was in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and I handed my credit card. To the, because I'd already been here, you know, enough time to get a credit card. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the guy says to me, would you like me to fill her up, Alan? Yeah. I thought, what an astonishing thing. Here's a guy in a gas station yeah. addressing me by my first name. Yeah. What an amazing sort of freeing yeah. ambiance. Egalitarian. It's the equal. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. And that was very different from Britain. Of course, now at 77 years old, when some young 16-year-old addresses me at Allen, mm-hmm. it's sometimes in inappropriate situations, I'm a little less tolerant. Yes. But I, but I love that. I love that egalitarian aspect. I'm glad I can call you Alan. On the other hand, I have, I have children as well. So, you know, it's, I figure if I have children, I don't have to not always call people by their last name, you know. Uh, typically not if we're having an informal conversation. Um, sure. Alan, can I can, can step back just and, and ask you a cultural question about something you just said about leaving school at the age of 16, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you were encouraged to leave. Now, if you're, um, this is to the audience, if you know somewhat about culture and somewhat about the Brits, you know that the Brits speak a coded English, right? It's yes. it's not it's not the the American English that or the business English that I'm using because I'm not native. Um, to be encouraged to leave, you just how you just said that was that like this this uh, how do you say understatement way of saying that like come on leave guy because you ha- are no good at anything. That's very accurate. Yes, okay. That's a very good analysis. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it, what it. And that's interesting because because you said you're 77 right now and 16 then and and still you it's still hard to get rid of this these understatements I guess. I suppose that's part of my being. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, makes good sense. Does that get you into trouble in in the U.S. as well? That you say something it, and it you does, wonder like, does not get it? Yes, very very frequently. Oh, uh, frequently. I mean, half half the time it's because I think they don't understand my accent, uh-huh. but half the time it's because they don't get it what I'm trying to say. Uh, maybe it's it's I don't know if it's subtle as the word, but it doesn't come across in an obvious way. Yeah, it's, I hear the two the two indeed. I hear the southern accent, the Tennessee accent, uh, American accent, but I also very much hear, of course, your English accent. It depends a little bit on what you're um, uh, on what you're saying in terms of how you're addressing gas station, for instance. That comes out very Americanized. Um, so I also know because you've sent me a bias, a bit of a bio. You spent some time in France as well. That is also not an obvious thing to do, I guess. I mean, the love-hate relationship that the, that the, the Brits have with France and then, you know, going to the United States and then going all the way back to France. Can you tell us something more about that? And also the, the cultural impact, if you want. Well, my, my relationship with France came very much through my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started calling, my wife is a Parisian. Yeah. And we started calling before I'd left England. That's not so the school teacher that you just mentioned earlier. No, 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 no. Okay. No. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I spent uh, some time in France before I came to America, very little time. Uh-huh. But then when I was in, Amer- in my research uh, degree, yeah. I spent a couple of years in France uh-huh. uh, working on my thesis. 
And since then, I've been back several years, several sabbaticals. Mm -hmm. And I was invited back uh, as a guest lecturer at a business school. Mm -hmm. And so I spent probably altogether three or four years in France. Mm -hmm. And I still spend three months a year in France. Okay. So, so that cultural mix you spoke about in your first question yeah. is very much a sort of tricultural approach. I spend enough time in France, I think, to have a feeling mm -hmm. for that culture yeah. and certainly uh, a very, very different approach to life for mm -hmm. me in France. Uh, and in particular, I wrote the book actually thinking very much of the French in terms of looking at American culture. Okay. So how, how would you, as, as <clears throat> saying tri-cultural, tri, uh, if you want, how would you describe how an American, because you're not an American, you're, you're British, I mean, in the core, I guess, uh, how would an American describe the French? Well, one of the, word, one of the words that always comes to the fore is discreet, discretion. Mm -hmm. uh, is very much a part, I think, uh, of French being. Uh, and that comes out in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Uh, one little story I had which illustrates it, uh, we were in Savoie, spent yeah. a lot of time in Savoie, and we had some very good friends there, and we were invited to dinner somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife said to me at the last minute, well, are we supposed to take the kids? Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know, let me phone Francoise. Yeah. And she said, what do you mean? What are you going to say? So I'm going to say, Francoise, are the kids invited? Yeah, yeah, that's no, no, what you no, wanted no, no, to know, right? Absolutely not. She said, what you'll say yeah. is, Francoise, we'll see you very shortly. We're going to drop the kids at the cinema, and then we'll be at your house. And this will give Francoise the opportunity to say either, yeah. of course, bring the kids, or fine. Yeah. But it was a sort of way of not hitting the aim, of yeah. not hitting the objective of what you were trying to find out directly. Yes. It was a discreet way of allowing the other person not to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to digest what you just said in terms of, of culture and what, if I could put any cultural dimension on that. Um, and uh, no doubt you're aware of the work of uh, Geert Hofstede, uh, the, the cultural guru, if you want. And I would actually link this to uh, uncertainty avoidance being relatively low in the United States and in the UK and relatively high in France. Uh, and so your directness could potentially spark a conflict And yes. let's not uh, let's avoid that conflict, and let's sort of give them an opportunity to choose either way, like you just described. Excellent story. Yes, but what what's interesting as well in my own experience is actually once you get to know the French, and that's not easy. Yeah. But in my experience, it, it, it's a very uh, forges a very powerful friendship. Once that is sort of crossed, the French actually are very attracted to the directness. Uh -huh. They find. It different yeah they find it refreshing yeah and they can't do it themselves yeah but they're sort of attracted to it yeah i think this is one of the one of the things on the love-hate relationship the love part they yeah. have towards americans yeah it's um it's true i experienced to some extent the same uh being a dutchman myself living in belgium belgians are relatively less direct than the dutch the dutch are, are overly direct i mean this is every country in the world i guess is astonished by the directness of the dutch um and it's 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 indeed i see something i see something like that coming back as well it's either a double ended sword double sided sword or it's a it's a the it's one coin which has two sides it's if they can get used to the directness sort of sort of Uh, you know, get over that hump of directness, then it's like, well, it's actually, it, he doesn't mean it that bad. And it's what you see is what you get. And that's kind of nice as well. 
And then the downside, of course, that is in business, we tend to give it all away because we say exactly this is our bottom line and we're not going to go any further. And then the Frenchman walks away and says, well, thank you. Now I know everything. And yeah. yeah, so it's it has... Yeah, it we has don't, its, we don't, as Americans anyway, I think we don't leave room for any ambiguity. Uh-huh. And some cultures like ambiguity. Yes. They're more, they're more comfortable with ambiguity. Yeah, because you can still, at the latest, at the latest moment, still go the other way if necessary. Yeah, true, 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 true. Um, what what triggered me in? Uh, no, actually, you triggered me initially by sending me an email, and um, because that's an endeavor. Because you said I don't know where what I'm actually what the purpose is, or just elaborate a little bit about the book because you've mentioned it before. Well, the, the book was an idea that came from just looking at these bumper stickers. You have to tell what the book is about as well, <laughs> what it's called. The, the book is about looking at American culture uh -huh. through the bumper stickers that yeah. people put on their cars. Uh -huh. Because there's all kinds of ideas that come out. And there's a sort of a pro and con bumper yeah. for just about every subject in America. I mean, for example, if you look at guns or if you look at abortion or if you look at religion, uh -huh. there'll be the religion is, is one of the most widespread examples. You see the cars going with the Ithacus uh, fish symbol with a cross inside yeah. by the religious person. And the person who wants to respond to that has got the Ithacus fish with Darwin inside. Yes. Yes, or, or which, which the, is the counter, counter thing, of course, yes. Yes, and so there's this dialogue between the cars, if you like, and uh, it, it's very interesting because it, it really treats some of the most profound cleavages in American society. Uh -huh. It deals with the gun question, it deals with the religious question, it deals with abortion, mm -hmm. uh, it deals with the environment, yeah. uh, and, and it's quite fascinating. What, what gave you the idea of of actually because it doesn't exist I haven't seen it either and I thought it was a very original idea by the way the the official title um uh, that's how you can get the book or where you can get the book is on Amazon for one thing it's called America's old social network and you're referring to social networks like Facebook and and Twitter and stuff like that where people communicate well almost face to face through a computer you're calling it the America's old social network the bumper sticker dialogue where did you get yes. the idea from that's uh, people can go to Amazon and they have to go to Kindle Books uh -huh. and put in the title or, or Alan Rose. The idea came from simply looking and being fascinated by this very American, because like you say, it doesn't exist in your country, it doesn't exist in my country. Yeah. Occasionally in France, we'll see baby à bord, uh, meaning there's a baby on board. It's yes. traveling in the car. Uh -huh. But other than that, and, and in England, you see football stickers, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, like Lake Norian, my team, or, or Spurs, or Chelsea people will have sorts of banners. Mm -hmm. But other than that, they don't express their ideas okay. on their car. This is a very American phenomenon. I think tied very closely to this desire by Americans to to speak to the world, to have the confidence to to just come out and put it there, you know, in your yeah. face. This is what I think. And what I think, I have the confidence to stick on my car. Right. You know, I can't see a Frenchman or an Englishman, putting on a car, uh, I believe there should be a regulation of guns, or I believe in God, yeah. or, or I believe the environment is getting messed up. Yeah. I just can't see that happening. No. People don't have the, I don't know whether it's the, it's the courage or, or the confidence, or people are too discreet to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm trying to think if I ever remember having seen a bumper sticker 
in Europe, I must have. I mean, they're, they're always exceptions to the rule. But in, in general, the, the abundance of car stickers, bumper stickers that you have there is, is I mean, the lack of, of that is here in, in Europe and possibly the rest of the world um, as well. How, so. Yeah, go ahead. So that was why the idea of a book came to me that I thought looking at it from the point of view, particularly of a Frenchman, actually, uh-huh. I thought uh-huh. they, they have this feeling about Americans being very outgoing and uh, enthusiastic and energetic and, uh-huh. and self-confident. And this is a really good example uh-huh. of, of that sort of stereotype. Yes. And yeah, also I- the, they know about subjects like guns and abortion in America, but they don't perhaps really know all of the facts surrounding that. Mm -hmm. And so I took the opportunity, the other part of the book, is actually putting those bumper stickers in context culturally Mm -hmm. as to what's going on in America. You know, what are the rules about guns and what do people know about? Yes, can you elaborate? Take take that subject, because I know that's a very controversial subject within the United States as well, and I think the whole continent of Europe, including the UK, they look at the United States and they wonder, like, why do you have these guns everywhere? I mean, well, so how does that describe American culture? Can you say something about that, please? Well, there's this imbued feeling of, uh, some of us may say distorted feeling, but a feeling that we have the right to do these things. Mm-hmm. We have the right to carry guns. Yeah. And there's this very strong anti-government feeling that the government certainly does not have the right to take away from us. Mm-hmm these guns which are protected in their view by the constitution yes and uh it's i've been here now 40 45 50 years and i still don't really understand it i don't understand it in the sense that it's clear to me that the way the constitution was written was not about modern day technology and guns they couldn't have and i don't understand why people can't see what the figures express Mm -hmm. that it's an extremely dangerous society Mm. And yet, in spite of that, and in spite of the obvious figures, the answers will be something like, it's okay to have a good guy with a gun. And you get these extraordinary reactions when there's one of these tragedies in a school system, Uh uh, like we had in Shady Hook, that people, and I'm talking about political leaders, will have as an answer, we need to arm the teachers. Yes. (laughs) I mean, for us, uh, that's extraordinary as a response. Very much, yes. And, of course, it's extraordinary to many Americans because the country is very divided on this issue. It's not at all a one-way stream, but um, it's very difficult to understand. Uh, And and, and yet people cling to it. I don't know if you could explain as part of the Old West pioneering spirit. Uh, There are various explanations. Uh, None of them are satisfactory to me. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, Americans cling to that concept. Is is um, you mentioned your wife is uh, is Parisian, not even French, yeah. but from Paris, uh, yes. because that is the island in um, in France. That did she in any way object or encourage you to write the book, or did she, were there times like no, you can't put that in, that's too direct, or I don't know. Oh no, I think that uh, well, she was very encouraging. Actually, uh-huh. I probably wouldn't have written or published it without her encouragement. Uh-huh. Uh, she would. I mean, there there's particular there, there's one sticker. Yeah. An outrageous sticker, actually, um, which says that not all the French are annoying. Some of them are dead. I mean, <laughs> absolutely out. Can you imagine driving around with, with that on your car? And having your wife next to you. And then yeah, exactly. Yes. exactly. 
Yes. Are, um, you, are you about to look it up then? Are you about to show us, or because it's? it's uh, I, w I was. Uh, I was going to do that. Yes. I'll take your uh, time. You can do that. In the meantime, I can say that if you're listening to this podcast in audio only on iTunes or Stitcher, then you can always uh, go to YouTube and watch actually what's going on here, and see what Alan is actually about to show us. Um, to get to the YouTube channel, you go to culturematters.com/slash/youtube. Here we go. It's coming through an iPad device. Work. Yeah, a little bit higher. I got it. Yeah. Not all that? French are annoying. Some are dead. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the nastiest sticker. Although there are a couple of other nasty stickers as well, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put a link to your book in the show notes as well. So if people are interested, they can actually go directly from the article about you uh, to Amazon and get it there. <laughs> Uh, and there are some very funny stickers. This is, I think, one of the really funny stickers about... A little bit higher. Right? Let me see if you can see that. Yes. Which one is it? Uh, it's this one here about Reagan. Okay. Can you read that? When Reagan was president, he had... I can't... No, it's, the contrast is not good enough. Uh, sorry, okay. just, just read it to us. I tell you, when Reagan was president, we had Bob Hope and Johnny Cash. Uh -huh. With Obama, we have no hope or cash. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty direct. Uh, and uh, yeah, you either love direct. it or you hate it, I guess. Uh, somewhere in Texas, there's a village missing an idiot. This was aimed at Bush. <laughs> so, you know, there's a whole variety of, of ideas expressed and a good deal of humor. Yes. And I guess, I guess talking about the new American president, uh, the president-elect at the time of this recording, which is, by the way, January 12, 2017, there must be a, a, like a load of, of bumper stickers there as well. I mean, he, this guy is inspiration for, for an everyday bumper sticker. Well, uh, unfortunately, in some aspects, I'd finished the book. Uh-huh just at the time of the election. So I managed to get one Trump sticker in there. Uh -huh. uh, but interestingly, there were very few stickers that I saw, pro-Trump stickers, right. uh, prior to the election. I, and I, as you can imagine, was very much on the lookout for them. Yes, I can imagine. Uh, but I imagine now the reaction in particular uh -huh. is going to produce a whole spew of new stickers, maybe for my next book. Yes, yeah, exactly. Part two, I was going to say. Um, so, given all these bumper stickers, and I guess they come from all over the all, all over the country, I reckon. Um, and it's, could could you say that there are any differences in bumper stickers in say in the north, in the east, in the south, in the west? Do you see like like intra-cultural differences there? I don't, because uh, I think actually probably the majority of them are taken in Idaho, because I spend so much more time in Idaho. Uh -huh. Some were taken on the East Coast and some were taken on the West Coast. But if I had any impression at all, it was that Idahoans seem to be more likely to use bumper stickers than other people around the nation, okay. which surprised me a great deal. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, the United States is the country that measures everything, and statistically at least. So there must must be statistics about the number of bumper stickers being produced as well. And possibly for your third book, you know, um, get input from the whole country. Let people send in pictures. It saves you a lot of work. Well, I, it does, but I, as I say, actually, in the introduction to the book, I made a determination early on that I was only going to use bumper stickers that mm -hmm. I saw on cars, mm. because you see, you can go and I can go in my local drugstore. Yeah, has a very good box of bumper stickers with some wonderful bumper stickers. Yes, 
But or and you can also there are websites where you can go and produce your own bumper sticker. Yeah. But I wanted to say what I'd seen on the roads. You know what I'd seen in this American society. Yeah. Not not to use bumper stickers that I hadn't witnessed. Uh, although now at the end of the book I do ask people to send me any interesting. Yeah. Send them to me. Yeah. So I may do uh, something with things that I haven't seen. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I said. Yeah. It's it's good. It's going to be. In it. You can very much follow this up with um, with some creativity. I very much see that. Um, can I just step back one, or maybe continue? Depends a little bit on how you look at this. Uh, you've been here. You said here is in the United States. Forty five years. Forty four years or something. I came in sixty three the first time. Okay. Um, That's yeah. I have two questions on that. Did you um, were you there uh, when JFK Kennedy got murdered? I just arrived. Yes, just arrived. How, what kind, no, of, what, what kind of impact did that have on you as a twenty-four-year-old, uh, well, uh, boy or young man? I guess. I don't. I don't recall well oh, enough. Okay. I mean, I was shocked like everyone else, yeah. but but I don't recall well enough. And I wasn't into at that point. I wasn't into academia. I, I probably wasn't. Associating with people who would have uh, had other, would have an emotional reaction, but uh -huh. there probably wasn't a, a very political uh, milieu that I was in mm -hmm. to sort of discuss yeah. what that meant. Yeah. And and the other question that's linked to that now, uh, being there forty five, forty four years in as a Brit. Um, uh, and possibly even an enlightened Brit, you know, with a French connection, if that makes any sense. And being so long in the United States, do, are you still at times amazed by what you see in the United States? That's one part. And the other part, if you go back to the UK, are there parts, if you ever you go back, are there parts about the, the Brits or the UK that you wonder, like, this is awkward. I never knew we did it like this or that or such or so. Well, there are still things that amaze me in America, yes, constantly. I mean, the recent election amazes me. <laughs> still, I, I still can't believe that that's true. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I can't believe the Americans' reaction to it. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe, given the campaign, uh, that what happened happened. Yeah. You know, it was, it was so outrageous yes. in many respects. Yes. Uh, so, yes, I'm, I continue to be amazed by Americans, by, by the, in a sense, often by their naivete. Yeah. I think, uh, and and sometimes by their lack of political interest. Uh, I see, I notice immediately when I go back to France, how people, particularly young people, seem to be very much into the political situation. Yeah. Not as much as they used to be, perhaps, mm -hmm. but they're aware and they're discussing. Uh, and I don't see that so much yeah. in the United States. And how about the UK? Uh, the UK, uh, I... Um, well, both the UK and France, when I go back, I, I find that we still lag far behind in terms of things like customer service. As compared to the United States. As compared to the United States. Right. I mean, this idea of walking... Now, this is Idaho, of course. Yeah. Uh, I don't live in New York yeah. or Chicago. Yes. But when I walk into a store in Idaho, the shop assistant absolutely impresses me with how happy he or she is mm -hmm. that I'm buying something there. They can't do enough to make me happy. Yeah. And that simply does not exist yeah. in Europe. Yeah, true. Uh, this idea, and, and of course I know that underneath it's a job for them and when, when I leave they'll turn around and say, oh, wow, you know, uh, they're not exactly happy really, no. but they give me the impression and I like that. And you like I that. Like, and you smile back like, and it's a happy world. Like, well, at least for I like moment. to be in a country where people are happy for no reason at all. Yeah. You know, and I give the example of Disneyland. Yes, you do. And uh, your book, you, you write that, Disney, right? Yeah. 
you know, you have this this smile on your face. And when the French created their Disneyland, they had tremendous trouble finding people who would smile blankly yeah. into the atmosphere for no reason at all. Yes. But as I said, it's I prefer to be in a country where that happens, even if it's superficial, yeah. rather than be in a country, la France, où on râle tout yeah. le temps. You know, they complain all the time, often for no reason. Yeah. Well, I prefer to be in a country where people smile for no reason. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good analogy. <laughs> it's a good comparison like that. Excellent. Um, Dr. Alan Rose, we are in about 31 minutes in the, um, in the recording, and uh, I keep the recordings around 30 minutes more or less. I have two more questions for you, if I may. Um, one tends to be the most difficult one, so I'll give you some time to think, which is, can you give us... From your experience, us, the audience, three tips to become more culturally competent. So whatever comes to mind from your experience. And the second one is, how can people get in touch with you, should they want to? Uh, well, they can get in touch with me uh, through um, my email, uh -huh. which uh, I'll give to you. Um, Which hey, I Rose. have, because we have community. Oh, you have, of course, yes. so I don't need to give it to you. I'm getting in touch through, through my email. Uh -huh. And the second question, three tips, it's sort of, I don't want to be arrogant, feeling that I know these things, but I do feel, particularly in my relationship with French people, yeah. is is to to make it clear that as an American or as an Englishman, you do not consider that your own culture has all the answers, mm. that you are ready to share with them what you may consider some of the weaknesses uh, of your own culture, of your own country's approach to life. Okay. And I think that opens doors. Certainly for me in France, that has opened doors. I don't want people to be overtly critical and make up things yeah. about their own country, but there are surely points where you feel, uh, I like, I'm, I prefer the way this is done in France. Yeah rather than in America. Okay. I think, America, we've made some mistakes, and I'll share these with you. Yeah. And I think that that's... And, and the other thing, of course, is humor. Now, it's very difficult in a foreign language. In fact, for me, it's one of the tests of whether you're bilingual or not. Yes. Can you make jokes in a foreign language? Yes, it's, it's, it's dangerous territory. Yeah, it is. So, <laughs> so would your second tip be, indeed, be humorous or use humor? To use humor. Okay. Yes. To, 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 to try and use humor. Uh, Self-deprecation is, is, is another one, as long as it's not taken too far. Yeah. Th these are sometimes difficult things to do, of course, in another language. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if your common language is English, you could do that. Yes, if you share, I mean, it's, you're native, I'm not, but we still are communicating in English, nonetheless. Yeah. Yes. And have a third one? I can't think of a third one. I'm sure as soon as we finish this, I will have thought of one. <laughs> then I can always add it later. No worries about that. All right. Um, well, it's been uh, it's it's uh, bumper stickers and culture. Can you believe it? It's uh, it's an, it's an interesting combination. All right. Well, um, Alan, thank you so much for your time. Um, I wish you a very pleasant day today, and um, I'm pretty sure we'll be in touch in the future. Well, I hope so. Thank you very much, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks, Alan, again for your time. Thanks for showing us the images as well from your book. And you can uh, find the link to the book, of course, going directly to Amazon. But you can also go to my website, which is culturematters.com. Click on the podcast tab and find Alan Rose there as being one of the interviewed guests there. 
Um, and if you want to see what we were talking about, you can go to culturematters.com slash YouTube, where you can find all the videos of the podcasts as well as leads from the last, the latest podcast that is. Okay, that's it for this episode. That's the end. I'll be back with episode number 75 in two weeks. Thanks for being here. Talk to you then. Bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Thank you.